If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 12. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we walked through the book of John. John chapter 12, Adam talked about last week, walked us through the story of Mary breaking the bottle of this expensive perfume and pouring it all over the body of Jesus and and wiping it with her hair. This uh, extravagant expression of worship, this extravagant expression of, of who she knew was in her midst, that this is the appropriate response to Jesus. He is of greater value than this expensive perfume that I have, worth a year of my wages. He's of greater value. And so then we pick up after the story, John chapter 12, verse 12, the triumphal entry. Jesus was staying with Lazarus and Mary and Martha in their home. They were good friends. And he had gone there in preparation for the Passover in Jerusalem. The Passover is this time where Israel uh, uh, remembers and celebrates their liberation from Egypt. After the 10th plague, right? If you remember the 10th plague where God killed the firstborn of all Egyptians. And he said, hey, put the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. And I will pass by, I will pass over. You putting the blood on the doorpost is a symbol that you trust me, that, that, that you're mine, I will pass over. That's why it's called the Passover feast. I will pass over you. You will be safe. And so they're to celebrate this Passover every year. And so here they are celebrating the Passover. And Jesus came to the home with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in preparation all right, for going to Jerusalem to celebrate. So I want you to understand that the triumphal entry, this is a big, uh, this is a big moment in the life of Jesus. This is a big moment in the life uh, 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 for all of us. Okay, because I want you to understand that in Jerusalem at this time, at the Passover, there are thousands and thousands of people. Thousands and thousands of people here in Jerusalem coming from other countries, coming from other places, flocking to the city. All right, and Jesus is going to ride in as we're going to hear, see here in a second. He's going to ride in. There's lots of hustle and bustle going on with the Jewish people. Lots of hustle and bustle with Israel because Jesus has now been doing his ministry for three years and he's been doing these signs and these wonders and saying these, these, these ridiculous things, these unusual things, these provocative things. He's been challenging Jewish leaders, challenging the Pharisees, raising people from the dead. Healing people, giving people sight who couldn't see, who were born blind. I mean, he's doing all these things. And so these Jewish people are, are now like, hey, is this, is this the guy? Is this the prophet? Is this the one who's going to restore our fortune? Is this the one who's going to restore our government, our fame, our right standing? Is he going to restore our authority? And so there's this, there's this stuff that's bubbling up in Jerusalem. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buzz. This is a big entry. 
You know, I, I went to a couple of Chiefs games last year. And you know, when the players are coming out of the tunnel and the fireworks are going off, the fire is being blown up in the air, the crowd is going crazy. It's deafening loud in there. All right, it's this big entry as the Chiefs run out of the tunnel. This is a big moment. It's a big moment in the life of Jesus. Big moment for the people. Let's read it. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. Okay, so what I want to do this morning uh, is I want to look at some of the different people in this grand entry and, and, and look at this from their vantage point, right? If you're at the Chiefs Stadium, you're watching, you know, the game, depending upon where you're sitting, you've got a different vantage point. You see different things because of where you're sitting, or you see different things, you see different things because what you're involved in in that particular place. You may see something going on around you because of the people around you are doing goofy things, whereas somebody sitting down low or somewhere else may not have that same experience, may not have that same encounter. They have a different vantage point. A different vantage point. A different vantage point means that you see things differently, you encounter things differently, you ask different questions. All right, so what I want to do about uh, with the triumphal entry is I want to look at this grand entry from a couple different vantage points, okay? And I want you to stay with me because at the end, we're going to look at Jesus's vantage point. We're going to look at Jesus riding in on the colt. We're going to talk about what his vantage point was as he's headed down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, Okay, but stay with me. We're going to look at a, a few of these vantage points first. Jesus' vantage point will tie it all together. Jesus' vantage point will make it all make sense. All right? So the first vantage point we see here in 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that, was, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So the first vantage point is this crowd who's coming out to meet Jesus. They've heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. They know he's staying with Mary and Martha. And so they're coming out as Jesus is about to ride in. They're coming out to meet him. At the same time, you have people coming in from other countries, coming in and are behind Jesus, and this crowd is coming out, and they're in front of Jesus. And so you have this, you have this mob of people who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise, praise be to the king. They're laying down these palm branches. They're laying down their cloaks, and they're praising, they're worshiping Jesus, saying, Hosanna, this is the one the Lord has sent. 
This is the king of Israel. This is the son of David. Hosanna. This is the crowd. They're on the ground right there with Jesus. They can probably smell the donkey. Okay, there's dirt probably flying up. Okay, they're right in the midst, in the proximity of Jesus. It's like being on the sideline of a football game. They're right in the midst. And they're worshiping, shouting, Hosanna. But there's a question that I started asking myself as I looked at it from this vantage point. If I were these people, the question I started asking myself as I read it was, is, dude, you know, back in John chapter four, Jesus says that there will come a time when, you, when, when, when my people will worship me in spirit and truth. My people will worship me in spirit and truth. And I, so I started asking myself, is this crowd worshiping Jesus in truth? Is this crowd worshiping Jesus in truth? Because this is the beginning of the Passion Week. This is the beginning of this week-long journey of suffering, which will lead to Jesus' crucifixion. Right now, a week from now, Jesus will be crucified. And so this crowd is shouting Hosanna. But you know what the problem is? As I read this story, and I think about when Jesus is standing on the platform next to Pilate, And this crowd, the Jewish people, is given the choice of who do you want me to set free? Barabbas or Jesus, they're not shouting Hosanna. They're not shouting praise be to the king. They're not shouting this is the son of David. They're not waving palm branches, are they? But just a short while earlier... This is what they're saying. This is what they're doing. And so it just... To me, when I go, when I ask the question, are they worshiping in truth? Parmy's like, no, they, they still, they don't quite understand the big picture here. Their perspective of who Jesus is is off. Their expectation of who Jesus is and what Jesus is supposed to do is off. Part of me thinks they're yelling and shouting out Hosanna and waving palm branches is because they think that Jesus is going to liberate them from Roman rule, going to set their government back up, going to reign as an earthly king. But we all know that that's not Jesus' kingdom. That's not what he's came for. But that's their, pers- that's their perspective. That's their expectation. What's your expectation of the reign of Jesus? What are your expectations about? Do you have some like contracts with Jesus? Hey, if I do this, I'm expecting you to do this. Do you have a contract with Jesus? What are your expectations of what Christian life is supposed to look like? Because to worship Jesus, we must worship him in truth. They don't quite get it. Second vantage point. Look at verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Uh, every one of the Gospels records a triumphal entry, and there's a, a, a Luke's recording in Luke 19. speaks more to about how Jesus got on this donkey. In Luke chapter 19, it says that Jesus sent two of his disciples as they approached the town of Bethany and Bethpage. And he sent two of his disciples into the, into the town and said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to get this colt. I want you to go untie it. And I want you to go get this colt that's never been ridden before. And I want you to bring it to me. And if the owner of the colt asks, hey, what are you doing with that? You just tell the owner, hey, the Lord's in need of it. And so they go into this town and they untie the colt. And the owner comes out, hey, what are you doing with that thing? And the two disciples said, the Lord needs it. And they took the colt to Jesus. This is the second vantage point of Jesus' entry. The two disciples that Jesus sends to go get the colt in which he's going to ride on. Because understand that in, uh, the disciples didn't quite get it yet. But in Zechariah 9.9... Zechariah prophesies about how the king will enter the city of Jerusalem on a colt, bringing salvation. So some 600 years earlier, there's prophecy about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt. Jesus knows this. Jesus is a bright guy. Smartest guy that's ever lived. He knows what he's doing. Disciples don't quite get it. And so I'm thinking from the disciples' vantage point, what's this look like? I imagine the two of them walking into the town are like, Jesus just asked us to steal a colt that doesn't belong to us. Is he testing us? You know, is, is that what they're asking? Is Jesus testing us? Is, is, is he seeing if we're going to like sin or something? Is he going to make a lesson out of us? What's he doing? Does he know that if he rides, rides in a colt, he can't outride, you know, the, 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 the Romans' horses on this thing? Donkeys don't move fast. You know, or maybe they're like, Jesus, I know he's about to like, for the first time, introduce himself as like king and like put himself out there and like, yeah, I'm king. Look at me. Wow. On a colt though? That's not going to look very intimidating. You know, because if you were a king, you would maybe ride in on a white stallion, maybe a chariot. Not a cold. And so the disciples are probably asking him, what's going on here? Why the cold? And why did the owner just let us walk away with this thing? We got some questions. A lot of us have some questions about how Jesus does things. The timing of how he works. The journey that he takes us on. The process of him riding into our life and making himself known to us. We have a lot of questions about how Jesus works. And we don't understand. We're like the disciples. We don't quite understand. The third one here. Back to John verse 19. The third vantage point. So the crowd is, people are heading out of Jerusalem to go meet Jesus as he's riding down. And the Pharisees are standing there and they're watching the crowds head to Jesus. 
And they say this, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after Jesus. The little guy says, hey, we're losing authority here. We're losing command. We're losing prestigiousness. We're losing our place. What we've built up is being stripped down. Look, look at all the people. There they go to Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. There they go. And so from this vantage point, if you're the Pharisees, you're looking at Jesus coming in, and you look at the crowds going out after him, and you're probably envious. You're probably envious. You're angry. Jealous. If you're the Pharisees, you're definitely all of these things. You're skeptical. Ah, he ain't the one. And so because you're all of those things, then you're like the Pharisees and you start to plot about how are we going to get rid of this cat? How are we going to get rid of him? He's causing us to be nothing. Not important. We're losing our prides being poked at here. And we're going to come back to that one, that vantage point. I'm going to leave it right there because Jesus has a lot to say about the vantage point of the Pharisees. The fourth vantage point before we get to Jesus is back in Luke's account in Luke 19. And if you want to flip there, we're going to hang out there for a second in Luke's account because Jesus' vantage point will also come from Luke 19. So you have a group of Pharisees and John who are standing out there looking at this going, there goes the world after Jesus. And then you have another group of Pharisees who are on the ground with the crowd that's shouting Hosanna. And those Pharisees have something else to say. In verse 39, they say this, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. Tell them to stop saying these things about you. This isn't true. You're not not this person. Tell them to stop. Stop enabling this. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these people stopped shouting Hosanna, the very stones would cry out. You fool. Because all of creation testifies to the glory of God. Is what Paul says in Romans. All of creation is a witness to God's power. All of creation points to the existence of God, the creator and sustainer of all things. And so Jesus says, if they stop praising me, the rocks would cry out. 
what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, it doesn't matter. There's nothing that's going to stop the sovereignty of God. God's glory will be had. Shut them up if you want. The rocks will cry out. God's glory will be had. What do you think the Pharisees were thinking as they're standing there and Jesus says, the rocks will cry out. I don't know. I, I kind of feel stupid if I was standing there. You're angry. You're envious. You're jealous. Jesus, tell these, tell these disciples, stop saying these things about you. They're not true. If they stop, the rocks would cry out. I'd be like, hmm. And I'd probably go chew on that for a while. And we get to Jesus. We get to Jesus sitting on a colt that his two disciples brought to him to fulfill the prophecy that was made about how he would come into the city of Jerusalem and establish and introduce himself as king. And he mounts up on the colt and he's riding down the Mount of Olives and he's got crowds behind him. He's got crowds in front of him. They're shouting Hosanna. They're laying their cloaks down. And you would think, because this is who we are, this is our human nature, you would think Jesus would be like, yeah, right? Like Travis Kelsey coming out of the tunnel. Yeah, come on, let me hear it, right? You would think the king would be basking in what is rightfully his. Praise and worship is rightfully his. You, you, you would think, you'd be like, yeah, this feels good. You finally recognize me for who I am. No, that's, that's, not, that's, not what he's, that's not what Jesus is doing. Why do I say that? Look at verse 41 of Luke 19. And when he drew near, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, gets close to the city, sees the city. It's in sight. All these people around him shouting Hosanna and he gets close and what's he do? He stops. Not because he's basking in the glory of people's worship and he wants to further take it in, but he stops and weeps because he knows as he looks at the city, only, only if you guys knew what would make for peace. Only if you knew what would bring you peace. He's saying that to all of us this morning. Only if you knew what would bring you peace. Only if you knew what would bring you peace. Back to vantage, the first vantage point. He's looking at the large crowd going, hey, 
me reigning as an earthly king and wiping out the Roman rule and setting up Israel's government and reign, you know, and, and we're undefeated in war and we've got this great territory and country in which we're in control of all things. Hey, only if you knew what would bring you peace because it ain't that. Only if you knew what would bring you peace because it ain't that. That's what he's looking at the large crowd thinking. Only if you knew. My reign isn't earthly. Only if you had knew that peace comes from me reigning over your soul. Not from me sitting in some man-built throne. That won't bring you peace. Me sitting on the throne of God with earth as my footstool and my spirit living in you, that'll bring you peace. Only if you knew why I was riding in. What about the two disciples? The two disciples, vantage point, who are going to look at the donkeys, going to grab one of these colts, bring it to Jesus, and they're confused. What are we doing? Why did the owner let us take this thing? And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm making peace with all of Scripture. I'm making peace with the Old Testament prophets and what they said. I'm making peace with that. I'm fulfilling that. You're going to get this cult because I'm making peace with all of scripture because it all points to me. This isn't random. How I do things isn't random. The way that I do things is so that you would have peace because I know what Zechariah 9.9 says. I'm making peace with all the scripture. There's no contradiction here. There's no, he, there's no hole here. There's no failure here. I make peace with it all. I fulfill it all. And so you can trust it. The third vantage point, the Pharisees. The Pharisees who said, hey, look, there goes the world after Jesus. What's Jesus saying to them? Jesus is saying to them, only if you knew what would bring you peace. Only if you would figure out that when you empty yourself of all authority, will you finally have peace. When you empty yourself of all prestige and all honor and all your own glory, when you empty yourself of that, you'll have peace. Only if you knew that. That's what he's saying to them. That's what he's weeping over. Only if you knew what would bring you peace. Scripture says that when you lose your life, you find it in him. How many of us are trying to keep authority 
over our life. Jesus is saying, hey, you will find such freedom and such peace in subjecting yourself to my authority. I promise. Stop trying to live a Christian life and be in the place of authority. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You'll just get frustrated. And then you have the Pharisees, you know, who said, hey, tell these people to stop saying these things. And this is what Jesus is saying. Only if you knew what would bring you peace. And I think about Revelation. Revelation 7, 9. Says this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. What Jesus is saying, only if you knew what would bring you peace. You're asking me to tell these disciples to put down their palm branches, stop shouting Hosea. And Jesus is like, if they stopped, it wouldn't matter. The rocks would cry out. And then when all of this is redeemed and I've come back for the second time, we're going to do it again in heaven. We're going to do it again. We're going to grab the palm branches and we're going to worship again. All tribes, all nations, all tongues. It's ludicrous for you Pharisees to think that I won't be glorified. You see what's happened here, the peace that God makes with Scripture. We have in Zechariah prophesying about what is to come and how Jesus will come in riding on this colt, bringing salvation, destroying the way that we think he's going to be king by bending the bow by throwing away the chariot, but establishing this peace. And then we get to the very end and we're waving palm branches and worshiping. It's all throughout. It's one story. Jesus is making peace with it. What about you in a culture where peace runs away quicker than anything else? Because our peace is so caught up in circumstantial things that when circumstances change, our peace also changes. Our peace also leaves. Because we have bought into this, you know, I've got to have Everything tidy, refined in this box that I can see, control, touch, feel. 
And as soon as something else throws a wrench in that or something unfavorable is thrown upon me, my peace goes out the window. We're like a roller coaster. Every day is a new day with our peace. Am I going to be content today? I don't know. What's going to happen to me? Jesus is riding in on the colt. Before he gets in the gate, he stops and he weeps and says, only if you knew what would make for peace. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, what would, what, what, what would bring us peace that doesn't change when our circumstances change? That doesn't change when our mood changes? What would bring us peace? And when I see this story, I know this isn't all of it, but this is part of it. Part of what would bring you peace is obedience. And that's not sexy. Obedience? You mean I got to be obedient? That sounds like the opposite of peace. Because you want to know why? You want to know why Jesus was riding in on that colt? Riding to his crucifixion, obedience to the Father. That's what the Father told him to do. And Jesus willingly left all of his glory in heaven, took on the form of man to get on that colt, to ride down, and to be forsaken by his Father on the cross. He was obedient to the point of death to bring us peace. Obedience was necessary for peace. Obedience in your life is necessary for peace. And then knowing that Jesus is king will provide you a peace that transcends all understanding, transcends all situations. Because when you understand that in Revelation 7, 9, it says that we're going to be worshiping there and he still sits on the throne because he always has. That his kingship stands firm, cannot be shaken, is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, when you understand that he reigns and nothing will thwart his will, there's a peace that is available through the Holy Spirit because your hope is always intact, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance. The band's going to come back up. And I want you to take some time to reflect during the song of worship. Don't go anywhere. Don't run out of here. But take some time to think about who am I in the story? What vantage point do I have with Jesus? What places am I trying to put my peace in? And Jesus is just sitting here going, hey, only if you knew what would bring you peace, because that won't. Where are you putting your peace? In a bag with holes in it? In a bag full of empty promises? Let Jesus be king. Be obedient to King Jesus. And you will have a peace that transcends all understanding. Let's pray.
God, I don't know what brings you to a place where you can look out as you're traveling to Jerusalem. I don't know what brings you to a place that when you look out and you see those people who are shouting, Hosanna will soon be shouting, crucify him. And you look out and you see a group of Pharisees who want to kill you. And you see a group of Pharisees who want to who shut the people up from saying Hosanna. And your best friends, these disciples, you look out and you see they're clueless. They got no idea what's going on. You look out and you see that. People just missing the mark, don't understand. You could so easily just in that moment, just be frustrated and just wipe the whole thing out, but you don't, you stop and you weep. You stop and you wept. Which means you weren't looking at us like you idiot. No, you wept with affection because you knew that until you got to that cross and you got in that tomb and you raised three days later that we would never get it, that we would never have peace, that we would never have a relationship with God. You wept with great affection knowing I've gotta, I've gotta, I've gotta do this because I want these people to know the joy and the peace of being with the Father. There is no greater love. It's no greater love than that. So thank you for not looking at me, God, like, look at that idiot. Look at that screw up. He's wasted. Just cut him off now. He ain't no good. Used up. No, you wept over me and said, hold on, I'll show you. God, thank you for that. Amen. Hey, I think this is our response this morning. This has got to be our response this morning. How do we respond to Jesus riding in and weeping over people? The only correct way to respond to that is for us to ride into people's lives who we go, hey, only if you knew what would bring you peace and weep over them. Sit down with them. Show them where peace is available. I mean, Bill, that's what Bill, that's what Bill stood up here and said this morning to Doug. He said, Doug, hey, thanks for riding up into my life teaching me about the person of Jesus, showing me who the person of Jesus is by the way that you relate to me. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for weeping over me. Thanks for walking with me. That's our only response to this passage. It's to go pull up next to other people, to weep over them, to show them where the peace is at. Show them Jesus. Live sent. All right? Last thing, if you got... If you're a parent of a fifth grader, make sure you got a bulletin because I want to show you some things in the bulletin. We're going to meet back there in the bleachers, all right? Have a great Sunday. Thank you.